Hi everyone, this is Allie Duff and I am your host for the Feeling Good Sometimes podcast. Throughout this podcast, we will explore honest, vulnerable, and unfiltered conversations with people who inspire me the most. These conversations will dive deeper into where our guests have been, how they got started, and where they are going. The topics will range from careers, starting a business, following your passion, living life outside of the culture's norm, and of course, my fave, mental health. The Feeling Good Sometimes podcast was truly created to remind you that it's okay if you don't feel good every single day. I surely don't. And of course, I am always here to remind you that you are never alone in your journey. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Feeling Good Sometimes podcast. Today's episode is with Carly Compton. She is known as Recovery with Carly on all social platforms. And she also has her own podcast. But today's episode is quite heavily involved in chatting about eating disorders. So I will just put a little warning here if this is an area that may be sensitive for you or you are not ready to hear um, anything about eating disorders at this current time, you can totally skip this episode. That is 100% okay and come back to it whenever you're ready or not. Uh, so in the episode, we discuss her background with her eating disorder, how she figured out she had an eating disorder, what she did to get into recovery and what she is doing now as a therapist and kind of working towards helping other people through their eating disorder recovery journey. So I hope that you love today's episode. And here is Carly. Hi, Carly. Welcome to the Feeling Good Sometimes podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm I am just as excited, if not more, to be here. Yay. So every episode starts with me asking how you're feeling. So how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I feel tired today. Mm -hmm. um, I was traveling last week and got back on Tuesday and went right back into seeing clients on Wednesday. So I'm feeling a little bit tired, but grateful. So yeah, that's kind nice. of where I'm at today. <laughs> yeah. What were you traveling for? Uh, so I was in Ohio for a speaking engagement. So oh, cool. I went for, uh, it was a keynote for a fundraising event. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a really great experience and yeah, just tired from flying and yeah, engaging and, and like stimulation, yeah. all that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. It can be a lot. Uh -huh. uh, so today I really want to learn more about you and we're going to speak about your past, what you're currently doing and kind of like where you came from and how you got to where you are today. So who was young Carly? Like, what were you like growing up? Young Carly. And I have this like huge smile on my face because when I think about her, yeah. I like, I get so like, I get emotional and then I'm also like, you know, she was so cute and innocent mm -hmm. and fun. Um, and when I was in Ohio, it's actually where I was born and raised. So I got to see oh, my family okay. and all of that. So we were going through old photos mm. and, you know, just like seeing myself when I was a toddler. Mm. Um, it was just very healing, like mm -hmm. to see that young version of me. But um, young Carly was a very energetic loud, funny, 
little girl. And I still am that to this day. Um, but she was also chubby. She was a little Mm. chubby girl. Um, she was bigger than her friends and, um, my cousin who I was really close in age with. So we were with each other a lot growing up. Um, and young Carly really hid her insecurities regarding her body with humor, Mm. um, with loudness, with like trying to make people laugh. Mm. Um, that was my way of like coping with the internal struggles that I was having regarding my body, especially as I got older Mm -hmm. into like middle school, you know, like fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade. That's when I started to really notice my body and really recognize that my body was different than others. Um, and that my body was not the quote unquote conventionally acceptable or like attractive body. Um, and I think a lot of that came from what I heard from friends and what I was seeing on television, mm-hmm. you know, like I was watching Disney channel and there was right. like, yeah. you know, they were all mm-hmm. the like gorgeous thin women, girls. Yeah. And you know, the thin girls are the ones that got the boys and who were like popular mm. and all of that. And so taking that in, that is what formed like the way that I viewed myself, um, growing up. And so, you know, around middle schools when a lot of my insecurities started to develop and I was Mm. like, something is like different about me and people are commenting on my body and people are Mm. treating me differently than my friends who are in thinner bodies. Mm. Um, I wasn't getting the attention of boys like my friends were. So it was definitely, you know, middle school Carly was feeling lost. She Mm -hmm. didn't know where her place was. She didn't know like how to be, be accepted or how to feel good in her body. Um, and at the same time was really hiding that pain because I Mm -hmm. didn't want anyone to know that I was struggling. I didn't want anyone to know that I, was thinking negatively about my body mm-hmm. um, because I've been a people pleaser my whole life. I still I consider myself a chronic people pleaser mm-hmm. who's, you know, really working on recovering from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't want anyone to know that I was struggling. I didn't want anyone to know I was in pain. So I hit it with humor and laughter and, you know, doing things for other people, even though deep down I was really struggling and, when I think back to that young version of me, I just want to like grab her and hold Mm -hmm. her and tell her it's going to be okay. And everything's going to work out and you're not going to feel this way forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking that I'm like, I'm sure you've done a lot of work on kind of, or you're working on like the inner child work, which Mm -hmm. is quite the buzz right now, but I feel like we've probably been doing it for a while. It's just now that it's like, picked up on TikTok it's like everyone's doing it um but yeah I was curious did you have because when you were growing up obviously we didn't have social media we had like TV and were you really into magazines um I was like I was like my older sister is six years older than me and she was really I like I remember 
her having like subscriptions and mm. stuff like that. And I would always just like look at whatever she was getting. Um, and I remember like looking at the covers, like in line at the grocery store mm-hmm. and all of that. So I definitely feel like there was an impact there. Like I definitely think magazines did have an impact on me. Um, tabloids like all of the ones that talked about celebrities and their bodies Mm -hmm. and you know like oh my god look they gained weight or yeah you know um like cosmo magazine that that one Mm. always talked about like how to be sexy how to get boys attention like all of the buzzwords um to be like seen as attractive mm-hmm. um so i definitely remember those those magazines for sure yeah yeah i had so many magazines growing up like collect them like crazy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i haven't even looked through them i don't know if i've thrown them out or looked through them but i need to like go back and look to see kind of like what the messages were like um yeah. but what was your older sister like with her relationship to her body Um, it was never really a conversation. I think it was because we were so far apart, so far apart. Yeah. So like by the time I was in high school, she was, had like already graduated and like gone Mm -hmm. to college. Mm -hmm. Um, but as I got older, like we've had those conversations now and she shared with me like her struggles that she had, um, with body image and eating disorder and disordered eating Mm -hmm. and all of that. But growing up, I don't, I don't really feel like I noticed, like I noticed, I looked up to my sister and the fact that she was very confident or she appeared very confident. Mm -hmm. Um, I like loved the way that she dressed and she was like really into like doing her hair and like her makeup and stuff like that. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what I remember yeah about her growing up but I think because we were so far apart it was like hard yeah to really see that like yeah the you know those pivotal years where that may have been the hardest for her she may have already been out of the house or I was too young to really understand what it was that she was experiencing Mm -hmm. yeah because sometimes we know that like us siblings can have kind of like an impact on the way we mm-hmm. feel about ourselves too depending on kind of like what they're going through um, definitely yeah. yeah I feel like the biggest impact I had was my mom like okay I love my mom to death she's amazing yeah um, and growing up like she never her or my dad like never commented on our bodies so I have two sisters so I have a sister who's six years older and then I have a sixth sister who is like 18 months younger okay um so me and my younger sister are a lot closer Mm -hmm. in age but my parents like never would say anything negative about our bodies but I heard my mom speaking Mm. negatively about hers about herself yeah and I always like I caught on to oh my mom's starting a new diet or we are going on vacation in Mm. six weeks and my mom's talking about how she's not eating bread leading up to vacation Mm. so I like took in this messaging and kind of was right there behind my mom doing whatever Mm. she was doing right and I always tell her like I don't blame her at all because Mm -hmm. I don't think she knew any different. I don't think she knew that like 
the way she was speaking to herself was having such an impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also like the generation of diets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. like the conversations that we have now about diets and like the research that we have now, like wasn't talked mm-hmm. about back then. So I always tell her, I'm like, you didn't know any different. Like you did the best that you could. Um, I just heard everything and took in everything. And as I got older, like saw parts of me that I also saw in my mom that I heard my mom talking about on Mm. herself. So that translated to me of like, okay, my mom doesn't like this part of her body. So I can't like this part of my body. And so I have to do what my mom's doing to change that part of her body. Right. Um, And so it was very like, I was a very like susceptible child and Mm -hmm. I was very aware of what people were saying and really wanted to, I think the people pleasing in me also wanted to make people happy in terms of like the way that my body looked. Um, My grandma would make comments. And so obviously I'd be like, okay, I need to make grandma happy. So I should like try and Mm. lose weight. Like she's telling me to, to make her happy or to like get the validation from Mm, you know outside sources so that validation thing right mm -hmm. that you you want people to be like oh you look so good oh my gosh you're gorgeous or like Mm -hmm. oh you lost weight it's that and that's what really drives into more unhealthy behaviors so when you were in high school when did things kind of start to change for you like with your behaviors and just kind of like mindset and things like that yeah so I um, had a experience in seventh grade. I've told this story like so many times, um, where we, I was in my seventh grade English class and a classmate like made a comment about my body. We were watching, um, this sounds so silly, but we were watching Alvin and the Chipmunks and he like mm. looked at me and he like compared me to Theodore and Theodore is like the chubby one. And, um, I remember like being like, oh my God, what do you mean? Like asking him, like, what do you mean we're similar? Yeah. And he was like, you're both fat. And in front of literally my like entire seventh grade, like seventh grade English oh, class. Oh, hurts my heart. <laughs> I know. And like now I hear that and I'm like, okay, like, you know, really trying to change the reactions we have to the word fat. Um, yeah, exactly. But, but you're like grade- 12. Exactly. Like I'm in seventh grade. I'm not having these conversations. No one's no, telling me like, so oh, different that's not a bad word. Like, yeah, I hear that and I'm automatically like, oh, and so I, my initial reaction was to like laugh about it. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like so uncomfortable. Don't want anyone to know that I actually hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. And I noticed like no one around me, like none of my friends, none of my classmates were saying anything. Like they were, weren't standing up. Were for they me all anymore. laughing? They were just like, oh my God, like, cause I was laughing. So they were oh, like okay. going, yeah. with, going along with me. And so at the end of the, the class period, I was like, I'm going to go tell the school counselor. Like, I just need to tell someone because mm-hmm. I am really like hurt by this, even yeah. though I'm not showing it. I am yeah. like very hurt by this. So I went and told the school counselor And her response was, you're just kids. Like, he didn't mean it. You're just kids. And just, like, completely invalidated my feelings. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment I knew, like, no one's going to stand up for me. Like, Mm -hmm. everyone around me sees 
sees that there's something wrong with my body. Right. Because no one's telling me, hey, you're perfect the way you are. Mm -hmm. Like people are agreeing with this kid who called me fat. And I'm being invalidated by the adult that I went to to receive the validation of, yeah, it's okay that this hurts. Like it's Mm. you're allowed to feel sad by this. And that's not the support that I got. I got you're just kids. Like wipe it off and move on. Mm. And so that stuck with me really like all the way through middle school and into high school. And around my junior year of high school, I developed my eating disorder. Um, so I've been an athlete my entire life. I played volleyball, basketball, and softball all through high school, like Mm -hmm. very active kid. Mm -hmm. My body was very healthy and strong. Um, but I didn't, that didn't matter to me. Like Mm -hmm. all I saw was the physical what I looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Outside. Cause and, you back um, then that wouldn't have been like the, the ideal athlete's body. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't matter. Like I was like one of the best, like top of my basketball team. Like I was mm. a very successful athlete. And for some reason, like it still was not enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember overhearing some friends talk about a girl in our school who had lost a lot of weight. And everyone was like, have you seen so-and-so? She looks incredible. Like she's lost all this weight and she's getting all this attention from all of these boys. Um, this was my junior year. Okay. Um, I had a boyfriend at the, t- like we, I've been with my partner since high school. I was a sophomore when we started dating. We're still together to this Your day. current partner right now. Yes. Oh, yes. cool. <laughs> so I was in a happy, healthy relationship, but that yeah. also did not matter. Like there was still, yeah, you didn't still, matter how much validation yeah. I got from him. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, she's getting so much attention mm-hmm. and everyone's talking about it. And then I heard one of the girls, she was like, yeah, I think she's bulimic. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what that, like, I had no idea what that was. Mm-hmm. I'm a junior in high school. I should have known and that just goes to show like the lack of education. Well, yeah. Don't learn anything <laughs> in my school. And I went home and I Googled it. Mm. And unfortunately, like my initial reaction was like, I could totally do this Yeah, because I can still eat and no one's going to like be concerned that I'm not eating. Mm. And so, um, I told myself, okay, we'll do this for two weeks just to lose the weight. And then once you lose the weight, you'll, you can maintain it. And Mm. that is obviously not what happened (laughs) and is not usually the way that it ends up working out. Um, it ended up being a five-year battle. I battled Mm -hmm. bulimia until my junior year of college became obsessed with it, became obsessed Mm -hmm. with losing weight, became obsessed with every food that went into my body. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't matter if it was like healthy or unhealthy. Mm. Like the feeling of like being full was, it was almost like an OCD tendency. Like okay. it was like a compulsion. Like if I felt right. full in any way, I had to like, I had to relieve myself of that. Yeah. So it was and very like binge purge. And it, for me, it wasn't necessarily a binge like I didn't really struggle with binging um I ate my meat like I ate three meals a day and again it didn't matter if they were big meals or small meals like just the feeling of food in my body Mm -hmm. was 
like what really I was like, oh, I, I, I can't do anything else until I relieve myself of this. Mm. So I didn't necessarily struggle with binging. Okay. Um, I was still very much like consumed with eating quote unquote healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like still restricting myself in some capacity, but also like anytime I would eat something, you know, like I, I would purge. And so it was this weird kind of combination mm-hmm. of like restriction, but also eating healthy, but also hating the feeling of like any food being in my body at all. Right. Um. So that lasted for about five years and um, it was like my junior year of college where I started to notice physical change, like physical symptoms. Okay. My throat was constantly burning. Mm-hmm. My gums were really sore. My hair was falling out. I mm-hmm. had like very little energy, of course, mm-hmm. because I'm not taking in any no. calories yeah. or, no. you know, nourished. Any- yeah. Yeah. I'm not nourished. I'm like, like not, I have no energy source. So mm-hmm. that was like, the point for me where I was like, oh, like this is really scary. Like okay. I'm like my body is starting to like physically and not just like weight loss physical, like actual side effects. Yeah. Like, so this is where I want to like put a little tidbit for people listening yeah. who don't know much about eating disorders is that it's not all about the weight loss. Like mm-hmm. the problem with eating disorders is because food becomes involved, but not necessarily it's always about food. Mm-hmm. Food does become involved. And when you start uh, malnourishing your body, you obviously have side effects that are not just weight loss. Exactly. And sometimes, well, most of the time, people see, obviously mm-hmm. have a picture image of what an eating disorder looks like or what someone looks like with an eating disorder mm-hmm. and just thinks like, oh, they're extremely overweight or they're really, really thin. But, like, mm-hmm. there's so much gray zone and all the symptoms that people have through that gray zone can actually cause people's bodies to break down sooner than other bodies. So, mm-hmm. like, everything that you were experiencing, someone else may not experience until further down in their path and someone else may experience earlier on, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of cut you off, but I'm also very curious through this, like, five-year process did anybody from the outside notice anything else going on? The only thing people noticed was my weight loss. Okay. Um, And I was, I, I should probably add, like, I was also very involved in, like, the fitness world. Like, I okay. started my Instagram and I was posting, like, a lot of workouts and meals. Okay. I was very, okay. like, consumed in that world. That was, like, the era of the fit. Exactly. Like, that. Yes. Yeah. Like what year years was this? Um, t- I mean, I graduated high school in 2012. Okay. Oh, so, so we're around about the same age. I graduated in 2011. Yeah. So you know, college was like 2013. It was like 2013, mm-hmm. which was to like really 2015, like, yeah. which I feel like is where it was. Like 2010, like t- 2010 to like 2015 or 2016. I feel right. like it was very heavy. Everyone who was on Instagram was probably on Instagram and doing like some sort of like fitness account. Yeah. And there Um, was, it was like very like weight loss focused those years. Like it was a lot of like before and after photos. Like were you heavy on Pinterest? 
Um, I would go on Pinterest here and there to get like inspo photos. Yeah. Like I, I'm literally yeah. like imagining like like the bodies the ones that are yes, yes like they're yes. black and white, and it's someone's like abs, like so and thin. It yeah, has like the text over it that says yep. like oh my god, I so abs. remember that. <laughs> so that's what my Pinterest was around that time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would like print them out or I would set them as mm-hmm. my phone backgrounds. Like, yeah. Oh my God. I was yeah. Very into this like motivation. Yeah. And... That's, that's such the era. <laughs> mm-hmm, 100%. Yeah. So when people noticed I was losing weight, they assumed it was from this like new quote unquote lifestyle that I had developed. Okay. I was working out and I was eating healthy and I was sharing my recipes and all of that stuff. And so no one really thought twice about Mm. oh this could be an eating disorder right um they just assumed whatever she's doing it's working and i want to know what she's doing so that Mm. i can have these same results um and so yeah when i decided to start my recovery and like shared with people this is what i've been experiencing people were like oh my god i had no idea like people Mm -hmm. were like people were very shocked Um, and I also got comments of like, I don't remember you ever looking like you had an eating disorder. Uh (laughs) And I was like, and like, what, you know, what do you imagine? And I think it's kind of like what you just shared. We, Uh when we think of an eating disorder, we imagine a very thin malnourished, like white woman who Uh you can see her ribs and you can see her spine. And like, that's what we associate eating disorders with. Right. Um, and because I like had an eating disorder, but ex- existed in like a larger body, mm-hmm. people didn't even think twice about right. that being an option. Did, uh, I'm really curious for you, was this like something your eating disorder fed off of and was like, did you, were you chasing a goal weight? And 100%. Yeah. So was your eating disorder like this is not really a true eating disorder until you get to that picture ex woman? Yeah. yeah. I was in denial for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um I knew that like You probably knew like we knew deep down that there's something yes, going like deep on. Deep down I knew like, okay, pur- I'm literally purging my meals. Like this mm-hmm. is not but it, that's not strong enough to stop. One hundred percent. No, mm-hmm. I think like for me I didn't know what the symptoms were I didn't Mm -hmm. know like what effects that the eating disorder was actually having on my body and so I was in denial until I started to experience those symptoms Mm -hmm. um I was like you know people do this like this is common like I'm just trying to lose weight and society is telling me do whatever you can do to lose weight um and so for me, like, I never thought twice about it until I started having those physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very much, it was always, okay, like, here's my goal weight. Once I reach that goal weight, I'll be happy. I'll be done. Like, mm-hmm. reach that goal weight. Now my goal weight has changed. It is now lower. And it just yeah. kept getting lower and lower and lower. And not only weight, but also BMI. I would literally mm. check like use a BMI calculator on the computer like okay. every day after high school I would go home and I would put in like I'd put in like what is my I I would yeah I would put in like what 
what do I need to weigh to be like, quote unquote, underweight? And the BMI calculator would tell me like exactly what my weight needed to be. That's so interesting because most um, treatments for eating disorders, they measure a BMI and it's Mm -hmm. also really stupid bullshit I can say that but um um so that's so interesting I've actually never heard anyone refer to their BMI like yeah that's so wild Mm -hmm. and I bet do you have to get your BMI measured for any of your sports like um did you ever probably not in high school eh? no not that I remember no I remember like learning about it in like health class yeah. Like we would be taught like this is the BMI scale and it's fo- it's based on your height and your weight. And yeah. according to the number on the scale, you're either underweight, average weight, or mm-hmm. overweight. So you probably or- learned like that's how they measure eating disorders. And that was kind of like what your mind gravitated to. Like once I'm underweight, then it's like I'm winning basically. Yes. Or for me, it was like not even using it to even like associated with my eating disorder. It was like, this was the number that I need to be in order to be healthy. Like this is the BMI that I need to have in order to be the healthiest, like strongest, fittest version of myself. Mm. And so even before I developed my eating disorder, I was, I was like checking my BMI. I was like experimenting with different weights and stuff. And when I couldn't reach those weights, like I couldn't lose the weight to get to that like average or underweight number, Mm -hmm. I, you know, was like, okay, I can't lose weight. And then that's when I was like, here, I'll, I'll dabble in an eating disorder and see if that will help me lose the weight to get to like the quote unquote healthy BMI number. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Which is scary. Yeah. And I was validated in that every time I went to the doctor. Right. And the doctor would tell me, Oh, your you're BMI at a, is perfect. Yeah, like, you're, you're at perfect. a healthy weight. You're at a healthy you're weight. Healthy. Like your tests are great. You are so healthy. And I'm like, yes, it's working. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've lost the weight. Doctors are telling me I'm healthy. BMI is good. Mm-hmm. And deep, deep down, I was like, okay, what happens if I stop this? Like, what happens when I stop? purging am I gonna gain all gain all this weight back and then my BMI is gonna go up and then my doctor they're gonna, gonna tell you that you're overweight exactly mm. so there was fear there of like yeah. giving that up because of the fear of like weight loss and then not getting mm. that external validation from my doctor or you know the BMI scale or whoever it mm. was that I was talking to mm. yeah so many terrible stories about family doctors and eating oh. disorders. Yeah. <laughs> just weight yeah. in general. It's just, whoop. we could probably know. spend a whole episode on that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. okay, so you're a junior in college and you're recognizing that something, well, you, you've recognized this, but you're now feeling all these like physical symptoms that you know is not normal. Um, so what's like the next steps? Like what happens next? Because obviously you're, you're recognizing this on yourself instead of having Mm -hmm. someone be like, okay, we need to get you help. Like we need to fix this right now. Like it's Mm -hmm. mostly you. Yeah. Yeah. So this was around the time that I started paradise fitness with Carly, um, which was my, you know, my, 
platform before I recently rebranded. Yeah, I was gonna say um, you recently just rebranded like last month? Literally like yes, yeah, very recent, like within yeah. the last month. Yeah. Okay. So Paradise Fitness with Carly started around 2017, okay. which was the year that I graduated my undergrad. So mm-hmm. started my recovery around like the end of my junior year of college and then um went into my last year graduated in 2017 and it was during like between that time that I started Paradise Fitness with Carly and I knew that I wanted to like look at food and exercise in a different way Mm -hmm. um and I had followed people on Instagram who had shared their experiences with eating disorders and who had recovered or were in recovery and so they were like huge inspirations for me um, and so when I started paradise, paradise fitness with Carly, I publicly like announced like, mm-hmm. this is, uh, this is something I've been struggling with for the past five years. Mm-hmm. And by putting it out there, it was kind of like this accountability thing for me. Like mm-hmm. people now know that this mm-hmm. is something I was experiencing. My partner knows my parents know, like people know now. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I can't. I can't fall back into these old behaviors because Mm -hmm. it's not a secret anymore. And like my, I was living with my partner and he was, you know, would be asking about it. Like it wasn't something I could hide anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's like starting recovery is really difficult because there's a part of you that wants to recover. And then there's the part of you that's like very afraid of recovering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you don't know how your body's going to respond. There's still this huge fear of weight gain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I fought that like every single day mm-hmm. and utilized like supports that I had found online, people who had been in recovery, who had gone through recovery. And I just surrounded myself with those people. And mm-hmm. that's when I started like almost had to start the work of like rewiring my brain from Mm -hmm. this idea that weight gain was bad Mm -hmm. and that if I existed in a larger body, I was unhealthy. Like these were the thoughts or beliefs that I had to change in order to truly like get to a point of recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it was around that time that I started posting more on Instagram and just being like Instagram when I started Paradise Fitness with Carly, it was like a diary. It was like a journal for me kind Mm -hmm. of to share, okay, today has been really hard or here's a tool or skill that I learned that Mm -hmm. has been really helpful for me. Um, And it was like an accountability thing. Like my community was checking in on me. They were asking like, how, like, how are you? Or you're not alone in this. Or if you need anything, like, please let us know. And that was extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the starting point. And then obviously had my ups and downs, like relapsed a couple of times and, you know, really was like, having to go back to like my why constantly, Mm. like, why am I choosing to do this? Why, why am I, you know, choosing recovery? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I always tell people I'm like, recovery is not linear. And that Mm -hmm. was like the hardest thing for me to understand because I wanted to just be at that finish line. Like I just wanted to like be done with it. I wanted Mm. to be 
recovered. I wanted to not think about it anymore. I wanted to have a healthy relationship with food Mm -hmm. and my body, but unfortunately that's just not how it works. And it takes a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) and support systems are like so important. So like remembering that it's okay to have the bad days was huge for me because I was like, this doesn't mean I'm failing. Like this Mm -hmm. means I'm I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm doing something really hard. And with doing something hard, you're going to have days that feel like really impossible. So that's kind of where that Paradise Sentence with Carly came about and then, you know, started talking more about eating disorders and education and awareness and all of that. And then over time, like the last like five years kind of transitioned out of like fitness and mm-hmm. more into like mental health and mm. all of that and kind of like where where I'm at today mm. yeah so when you were like when you started recovery was it were you doing this solo or were you in therapy or yeah I was doing it completely solo um How? I a part of me like I wish I like I felt like I didn't have resources Um, and that could have been, I wasn't looking in the right places or I didn't have the education to like, even know where to look. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I, I never went into a treatment center. I never saw like an eating disorder therapist. I was really just like doing it based on people that I was following, like accounts that were like talking about education and then any research that I was like doing on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't recommend that now. As Yeah, like, I know. Now I'm, I'm like, holy shit. Like I can't even, yeah. I hear people mm-hmm. doing this and they're just like, oh, I flicked a switch. And I'm like, well, obviously you did not do that. But they're like, mm-hmm. one day I just woke up and realized I can't do this anymore. And then whatever. And I'm like, Obviously, that's not my story at all. So it's mm-hmm. really hard for me to like see, like to yeah. even like comprehend that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that, like, if you did that and you're you made it through, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it was not. I think it would have. There would have been less relapse. There would have been less. Yeah. like ups and downs. But like, you know what? Had. Even if you go to treatment centers, you still relapse. It's exactly. I mean. Not everybody is going to relapse. I can't say that for yes. everybody, but yeah. it happens a lot more than you realize because mm-hmm. going from a treatment center and then having to transition back into real life is harder than the actual treatment. Yeah. Uh-huh, 100%. And I think like now that I work with people who are experiencing eating disorders and adolescents, right. like I am a huge advocate for therapy and I'm a huge, mm-hmm. like back then, like I my family did not talk about therapy. No one yeah. in my family was in therapy. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't something that I was like, yeah, let me go to therapy. Cause I was yeah. terrified of the different to time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I still had like very ingrained like stigma and mm-hmm. like all of that regarding like mental health. And if you're in therapy, um, and all of that. And so I always tell people now, I'm like, you don't have to do this alone. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, obviously being aware that like not everyone can afford going into a treatment center and not Mm -hmm. everyone can afford 
a therapist. So it's Mm -hmm. like, what resources can we gather from like organizations that are providing support groups and all of that to help you learn the skills to implement this into your day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think one thing that always came up for me too, was this almost like hesitation to share because I, there was like a part of me that felt invalidated in my eating disorder because I didn't go through treatment. Like I wasn't, I didn't go into a treatment center. I didn't Mm -hmm. like, wasn't hospitalized for Mm -hmm. my eating disorder. And so part of me was always like, is this actually as severe as I'm telling myself it is? Or was this as harmful as I thought my, like, as I've been Mm -hmm. telling myself it is. And so I dabbled in that too. I went back and forth between like, am I a fake? Am I like being Mm -hmm. a fraud and like making this more Mm -hmm. dramatic than it really is? Um, And that took a lot of unlearning too of like, no, my experience is just as valid Mm -hmm. as someone who is in a treatment center or, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who was hospitalized. Like our experiences are both very valid and Mm -hmm. deserve the same amount of like, respect regarding like what we've been through. So that too, like if you're listening and you're like, I have an eating disorder, but I can't afford treatment or I can't afford like therapy, Mm -hmm. just know that like you are still deserving of that support. And you're still like, there are resources out there to help you get that started. Um, or if you're listening and you had an eating disorder, but you never went into treatment or you never went into the hospital or anything like that, your experience is just as valid. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that, you know, you're being dramatic or that you aren't deserving of talking about it because mm-hmm. you are. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think this, that is the most problematic area for mm-hmm. when it comes to eating disorders. And I, and it's on like, so within so many different levels like I experienced it where I was diagnosed with atypical anorexia Mm -hmm. so if but I was like two pounds away from the threshold of being diagnosed with anorexia and I was like well then this is not legit like what am I doing like this is and I wouldn't be validated until I and I was like two pounds really Mm -hmm. but like Mm -hmm. in my mind I was like well I'm not sick enough like I'm fine Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. we're like someone else it would be something different like obviously what you went through and then you'll have people saying like well I just don't like see you being anorexic or anything like that and you're like well so I'm not sick enough this is not like I have to keep going right keep going yeah Yeah, like it's that whole thing Mm -hmm. and this is the gray zone this is like mm -hmm. this is the stigma of eating disorders once again that Mm -hmm. this is what like not refers uh what's the word i'm like deters people away from even asking for help for Mm -hmm. speaking up for speaking to a doctor Mm -hmm. for even attempting to start something themselves because we're all going to experience it in our own ways and our own levels and it's going to do different things to different bodies because Mm -hmm. we're all built differently so someone's Mm going to lose weight a lot easier than someone else is and someone's going to get a lot thinner faster than someone else is Mm -hmm. and yeah this is always the area which drives me insane because it's like how do we even I mean you just have to keep doing what you're doing but Mm -hmm. it's like how do we even break this down even more it's yeah and I think the biggest thing for me is like 
the like one it's the medical the medical field and Hmm. the training that is still being implemented within the medical field regarding eating disorders and yeah bmi and all of that like in order for us to like truly overcome this we need to literally dismantle like the bmi Mm -hmm. and we need to break down the whole medical system Mm -hmm. and rebuild it from a place that sees fat people as humans Right. And who understands that people in larger bodies are just as deserving of care, medical care, mm-hmm. as anyone else's without mm-hmm. automatically assuming, hey, you need to lose weight before I can provide you with, with any other care. Um, yeah. Or, and then same with treatment yeah. centers, right? Yeah, like, they don't allow. Mm-hmm. A lot Where of treatment I went, centers yeah. still have BMI requirements. Like your BMI mm-hmm. has to be a certain number in order to be admitted Mm-hmm. um or you know like it's just you have to be like so obviously we're in two different countries so we're dealing mm-hmm. with different medical systems but where i went it was covered through so i'm based in ontario so we have ohip mm-hmm. um so it was covered through ohip but you have to be at a certain level to even get in mm-hmm. like you they only accepted i think um bulimia and anorexia mm-hmm. um and there's obviously only so many spots it's not like yeah. you can be like okay i'm ready to go to treatment now i'm gonna go in next week actually mm-hmm. no you have to wait 12 months mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i mean there's no i don't know any country who's doing that right <laughs> to be yeah. honest i mean I it's very similar here yeah it's very similar here like and some some places here will even have like you need to be hospitalized a certain amount of times. Um, and on like the third hospitalization, then you're then required, you can go. like critical and you can go into, and it's just like, how does that it's already creating anyone a recipe for disaster? Because you're making people actually get sicker before they realize, okay, I'm at the point now where I can receive help. Mm-hmm. When and like, the scary thing at, like at least in the US, like our medical system and everything is very much like built on money and yes. mm-hmm. like how much you can pay. And yeah. our healthcare system and insurance is very, very messed up. And yeah. so people who don't have insurance are playing paying like completely out of pocket yeah. for these treatment centers that are thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um And unfortunately, there's a lot of connection in treatment centers, working with medical doctors. And so they're going to deny someone so that they become sicker and then need more medical care. And then the medical, the medical care is then going to refer them to a treatment center. Yeah. Um, So it's really tricky to navigate those, those areas because I mean, I even have clients who have gone into treatment and came out worse than they were when they went in. Mm. And so the only way we change is if we literally re like recreate like the treatment centers and like even in the US, the DSM, which is our diagnostic. Yeah, diagnostic they use the same manual, here. Yeah, they use. Yeah. So anorexia is determined by bmi within Mm -hmm. the dsm Mm -hmm. so like bmi is still being implemented the Mm -hmm. fact that we even have an atypical anorexia like oh you 
are a typical case, quote unquote, typical case of anorexia. So you're not as severe because your weight is higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll be at the, at the end of the list because we need to focus on our mm-hmm. clients who have, mm-hmm. who are meeting the BMI requirement. So it just invalidates everyone's yeah. experiences. Like being told, oh, you have atypical, and you could probably speak on this too, but like that being told like, oh, you have atypical anorexia, Mm -hmm. that is so invalidating Mm -hmm. and like saying like, okay, it's not bad enough yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll keep doing this until it gets to a point where it is bad enough to where someone will finally like help me Mm -hmm. and take me, take what I'm experiencing serious. That's the thing. Like when people will like take this seriously, it's Mm -hmm. like you're kind of like screaming on the inside, like help me, but Mm -hmm. You're also, yeah. (laughs) I saw this a lot with, I don't know if you saw this um, a while ago, but Tess Holiday. I'm not sure if you know who she is. She's like a gorgeous, like plus size model. um, I feel like I've heard the name. Um, And she recently had shared that she was battling anorexia. And Mm. because she lives in a fat body, Mm-hmm. everyone was like there's no way like you're yeah. clearly eating like you're clearly not missing a meal and just like the absolute like disregard yeah. for someone's personal experience just because of the size mm-hmm. of their body mm-hmm. is it's exhausting to like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always I'm like going in circles yeah I'm like just because someone exists in a larger body doesn't mean that their experience is less valid mm-hmm. or less severe that they deserve, like that they're not worthy of the same amount of care mm-hmm. and concern that someone in a smaller body would receive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just, we unfortunately just live in a society that perpetuates thinness yeah. as being the goal like if you can be thin then you're winning like Mm -hmm. you're succeeding and you're doing everything right and so I think like there's times where I'm like we're making progress at least here in the U.S. and like we're making progress and then something happens where I'm like we're not making progress like yeah it's it's so frustrating I don't know if you heard about the new guideline that the American Academy of Pediatrics released that um allows doctors to prescribe bariatric surgery for kids as young as 13. Yeah. Mm. So a surgery that is irreversible, that has a lifelong impact on someone's body. And they are saying we can do this on people as young as 13 years old. You're not even fully developed at 13. You're not even fully developed. Some people aren't even, haven't even had their periods. I was going to say, or I don't think I even got mine until I was like 14. Hit puberty or, you know, like your, your body, body is still going to change, change. Like so some much. people may not even hit their growth spurts. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, that's sickening, but they're just getting more money out of people. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a conversation about like consent, like can, a, does a child consent for themselves or do the parents make the decision? Mm, because... For the child. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like anytime I feel like we're making progress toward not 
focusing solely on weight loss, something Mm -hmm. like this happens. And I'm like, no, we are still very much consumed with the idea that it doesn't matter what we need to do for someone. doesn't matter how damaging it is to their body. As long as they're thin, as long as they exist in a small body, they're quote unquote healthy. Yeah. And we know that that is, that literally could not be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you go through the recovery process and I'm curious what were the next steps for where you are now and what you're doing now. Yeah. So I feel like within the last like three years, Mm -hmm. I have been like in a really good place with myself, with my body. Um, Obviously still have days where I wake up and I'm like, oh, should I, you know, like go on a diet again? Or, you know, I have these thoughts still come up, but Mm -hmm. I now have the tools to like help me navigate those thoughts. Um, And so now I am an eating disorder therapist. So Mm -hmm. I work with clients experiencing eating disorders. um, And that was something that was kind of like a last minute decision. So my undergrads in elementary education and all of my life, I swore I was going to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I realized actually through my recovery that that wasn't a decision I was making for myself. Mm, I was was going to say always happens through recovery. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone around me was telling me like, you would be such a good teacher. Mm -hmm. You're so good with kids. And Mm -hmm. so obviously I was like, all right, like, you're all telling me what my goal is for like what I'm good at. So I'll do what it is you're telling me that I should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so pursued elementary education. And then around my junior year of college into my senior year of college, I decided I didn't want to pursue like traditional education. Mm. And, um, but I was already, you know, at the end of yeah. my degree. And so yeah. like, I can't change it now. So yeah. I went ahead and graduated, got my degree in elementary education, worked in schools here and there as like substitute teacher, like assistant okay. teacher and stuff like that. And it was in those spaces that I saw this huge lack of education around eating disorders mm-hmm. um, and body image. Mm-hmm. I saw eating disorders, like signs of eating disorders or signs of disordered eating as in children as young as fourth grade. Yeah. And that was terrifying for me. Mm. Like I was like, yeah, this is really scary because they're not being taught how to navigate these feelings. They don't Mm. know. Like, yeah, no. Mm -mm. And so, um, that was when I started to just do like more work in the eating disorder field, talking more about it openly. And then, in 2018, my partner and I moved from Hawaii, which is where we did our undergrad, to oh, cool. yeah, the to Southern California, which is where we live now. Mm-hmm. And it was like this time period for me where I was like, I don't know what I want to like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Like mm-hmm. I know I want to be involved in eating disorders in some way, mm-hmm. but I just don't know what that looks like. And so 2019, my partner was like, What if you got your master's? Like, what if you went back to school? And I was like, there's literally no way. Like, I'm not going back to school. <laughs> I am not a school girl. Like, I never imagined myself getting another degree after my bachelor's. Yeah. Um, 
But after like talking to him and being like, this is what I would love to do. I want to work with people yeah. in this field. Um, I knew that that was really the only option yeah, that I had yeah. to be able to do that. So yeah. I applied for my master's of social work, got in and graduated with my MSW in May of 2022. Oh, so, and very, recent. so very recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so right out of undergrad, I got a job at a, right out of my master's program, I got a job at a private practice where I now work and work remotely and see clients, um, there, but I also do public speaking and Mm -hmm. I have an eating disorder curriculum. That's really, really important to me that I created Mm. throughout grad school. Um, it was actually my thesis. So it's a six week curriculum for individual, like, kiddos from like fourth to like eighth grade and it just focuses on what are eating disorders what are the long-term and short-term effects of them Mm. navigating body image mental health like coping skills how to talk about eating disorders so um that recently went live like last like a month ago okay very you trying to get that into schools Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so i'm Hoping to work with like local schools yeah. to get to get it implemented in schools and like do trainings with teachers, tr- you know, go through the curriculum with teachers, how to how to talk about eating disorders, like how to implement the curriculum and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because I always tell people I'm like, my degree is in elementary education, but I'm still very much like involved yeah. in <laughs> education, just not yeah. in a traditional sense. So yeah. That's kind of oh, where that I'm would be now. amazing if that could get into schools. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's my baby. It's like my that would like change I, so many lives. Blood, sweat, and tears for seriously. It must have been so much work. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, it's very important, and hopefully, will create like more um, urgency to mm-hmm. talk about and implement this kind of stuff because I, you know, working in schools, like I go into schools now, I like talk in schools and I've talked to, you know, like the high schoolers and even juniors in high school who have no idea that eating disorders are so deadly or that there's like this, these long-term effects of them. And so we can't expect kids to make different decisions unless they have the education mm-hmm. and awareness to understand like what mm-hmm. impact the their actions are actually having on them. Yeah. You like people really don't learn about eating disorders unless you have one <laughs> or yeah. um, someone very, very close to you goes through mm-hmm. one. But even then you, you learn like a part of it. Mm-hmm. If you're like super involved in the process, but other than that, you yeah. won't know a thing. Yeah. Cause... And I think a big part of it is like, at least here in the U S there, we hear this like hesitation for, especially if you go to like rural areas, the Midwest, like the middle of the country and all of that, there's this hesitation for like sex ed, right? Like mm-hmm. if we mm-hmm. teach kids about sex, they're going to know about sex and then they're going to start having sex. And we, I also see this with eating disorders Mm. where there is a hesitate, like there's a hesitation to 
have the education on eating disorders because people are afraid that if we talk about them, we're going to teach kids what they are and then they're going to do it. And I'm like, kids are going to, I didn't have the education and I still developed an eating disorder. Um, And we know that like that idea of like, we don't teach how to have safe sex, then like people won't people yeah yeah, people are going to have sex sex, sex, no matter what whether you're talking about it or you're not so you might as well teach people how to have safe sex like yeah to prevent unwanted pregnancy and all of that and the same thing goes for eating disorders like we can't just ignore that this is a massive issue Mm -hmm. within the u.s like all over the world yeah um and that eating disorders are literally the second deadliest illness, psychiatric illness. Yeah. And people don't understand. To the first, for people that. like listening, the first one, the first illness is opioid mm-hmm. addiction and overdose, which yeah. people know a shit ton about that because mm-hmm. how would you not? Yeah. But no one knows the second one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, and they can be like, risk factors for one another like oh they yeah they could be like, like co comorbid is that the yes 100 yeah. yes yeah. so yeah. like someone experiencing an eating disorder could be also Easily. experiencing yeah. you know addiction, like opioid yeah. addiction and stuff yeah. so yeah. like when i do public speaking and i share these statistics with people like 29 million americans will experience an eating disorder at some point in their life or yeah. that someone dies every 50 50- two minutes of yeah. eating disorder people are like are you kidding like i had no idea and it's like mm-hmm. of course you don't because like this no, yeah we want people to be thin we want people to be like yeah. america wants people to be unhealthy because they're more reliant on mm. the medical system and mm-hmm. it's very frustrating yeah it's really interesting to put it like instead of putting it to like the society standards instead to put it towards the medical mm-hmm. money income yeah 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 which i'm sure is really frustrating for your work yes yeah yeah and society's standards are created based on like there is a huge connection in Hmm. what media is telling us and what the medical field is telling us. Like they're working together. Yeah. They're hand in hand with each other. So the medical field will say, this is what we need to make money. What can the media do to kind of perpetuate this, to Hmm. get the message out to us to then, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, have us then wound back up in the medical system trying mm-hmm. to get the help we need and then being denied the help mm-hmm. that we need because we live in a large body and it's just this like never ending cycle. Yeah. I have like, I'm curious how you would, what would you define an eating disorder to be? So I, this is a really good question because we have disordered eating and we have an yeah. eating disorder. Actually. And yeah. So- Can we talk about the difference between the two? Yeah. So disordered eating, I always tell people disordered eating is more socially accepted. Mm -hmm. Like disordered eating is restrictive eating. Like you, it's like the very beginning stages of like dieting. Um, you have like fear foods or you like only eat a certain amount of calories a day, but there's not 
the like um obsession isn't as yeah it's very like yeah like yo-yo dieting kind of like you have good and bad like you're gonna restrict all week and then Mm -hmm. you're gonna have fun on the weekend kind of exactly yes and you exercise to burn off calories Mm -hmm. and you like still very much um dabble in like the unhealthy views and behaviors of like food and exercise and then eating disorders I always tell people is just like a more severe version of Mm -hmm. disordered eating um and so for me like clinically yeah I would look at an eating disorder as like okay what symptoms do you have Mm -hmm. like duration um intensity severity like those are like the three things that I look at when I'm determining whether or not someone has an eating disorder how long Mm -hmm. have they been experiencing this to what and like what's the intensity of it like all of those but also I don't agree with everything the DSM says or Mm -hmm. has qualified as an eating disorder so I also keep that in mind too, when I'm working with someone who is curious whether they're experiencing an eating disorder, I take away the BMI. I like Mm -hmm. tell them you can still experience an eating disorder and not have a certain BMI or still Mm -hmm. exist in a larger body. Um, but I think like an eating disorder is usually going to be like the extreme restriction Mm -hmm. um, or the binging and purging, Mm -hmm. um, or just the binging Mm -hmm. or even like the orthorexia part of it, like that obsession, Mm -hmm. extreme obsession with what you're eating and how often you're working out to where you really can't like your life is that. Yeah. I think, I think that's the thing, like from disordered eating to eating disorders that disordered eating, you you have more freedom, I feel like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's not necessarily consuming you 24-7, where eating disorder is, this is your life. This mm-hmm. is what controls your life. Like, nothing yeah. else matters mm-hmm. except for what's going on in your mind. And it very much is, like, a disorder. It's yeah. not a choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's not yeah. like you're picking and choosing to live your life this way. It's, yeah. It is a disorder. Yeah, like you are mentally and emotionally like consumed with this, you know, idea of like, and I think a big thing too, is always, and you kind of made this a point as well, is that like eating disorders aren't always just about like weight loss. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of emotional, there's a very Mm -hmm. large emotional side to eating disorders. Yeah. Um, Specifically people who experience like binge eating disorder, like for Mm -hmm. food for them growing up was a huge comfort. And over time, it just became like like, their coping mechanism. Exactly. To the point now where they're like, they can't, they can't go out into public or they can't function. Mm Mm-hmm like they would before because this eating disorder is, is all consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, for me, it's more, it's more so the symptoms and yeah. how it's impacting someone's body, like the, or someone's life mm-hmm. and like the severity of that impact, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily the severity of their eating disorder, like whether it's, you know, really severe or, right not severe, but more so that like 
the impact that that is having on their body and and to what extent is it yeah like Like how is it's kind of like when you look at depression or you look at a a chronic illness like a physical Mm -hmm. illness as well it's like how is that impacting your everyday life like the same thing needs to be looked at mental illnesses Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. eating disorders like how is that affecting your everyday life like Mm -hmm. I mean, it basically just robs people of their everyday life mm-hmm. the same as like cancer would, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. They can't Everything live in the same your way. life is centered around your yeah. eating disorder. Yeah. Um, like holidays, like celebrations, like going out with friends, like yeah, every it's just single like thing. everything and anything that you could ever imagine that you would do on your daily life is now kind of gone. Yeah. And I always tell people it's really interesting because they're for a lot of people who experience eating disorders, not everyone, there is usually a control aspect. Like Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. is this feeling of being out of control and Mm -hmm. their eating disorder is almost a way for them to experience a sense of control. But I always tell people like, it's really interesting because you may feel this sense of control, but you truly are very much out of control. (laughs) I know. It's like the number one thing you learn when you're going through like therapy for an eating disorder. It's like Mm -hmm. you're, you feel like you're out of control and like your eating disorder is your way to -hmm. control your life, but you're actually being controlled by your eating disorder disorder. and you, you are nothing at this point. It's like your Mm -hmm. eating disorder has taken over your life. But yeah. you can't really fully see that until you're like coming out of it and you're like, mm-hmm. oh shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is kind Definitely. of the scary thing, to be honest. Yeah. And I think that all like that has to do with like who you surround yourself with, like what information are you taking in? Like, I have seen, you know, individuals as young as like 12 who are so consumed with their eating disorder mm-hmm. that they truly do not see anything wrong with any of mm-hmm. the symptoms that they're experiencing because the they're surrounding themselves with people who are in similar positions mm. who are saying like this is normal it's normal mm-hmm. to feel this way it's normal to you know, do this, this, and this. And so Mm -hmm. obviously they're going to feel like, no, what I'm doing is normal and there is nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And there can be a lot of like brainwashing within Mm -hmm. the eating disorder field. And Mm -hmm. it's so important. Like, again, it's, it's why the education is so important and like just helping people to understand like you don't need to be a certain size Mm -hmm. and you can be a happy individual without needing to feel this urge to get the external validation from others based on the size of your body right yeah that's that's it right there that's it yeah (laughs) a lot easier said than done (laughs) exactly but like that's a reminder that everyone needs to hear is that you don't have to change yourself Mm -hmm. to fit into anybody else's mold like Mm -hmm. you yeah and one Um, thing I always tell people that's I heard one time and it like changed my life is there is literally only one version of me in the entire world. Mm -hmm. There's only one version of you in the entire world. There's only one version of every single one of us in the entire world. And it is really sad to think about 
the fact that a lot of us spend majority of our lives trying to be someone else else. or trying to look like someone else. And we are wasting a perfectly good, like valid vessel. Mm, And I, you know, that was a big thing for me in my recovery was like, I don't want to be on my deathbed one day and look back and be like, I regret not my whole life trying to change who I am. Yeah, exactly. Or like Mm -hmm. choosing to not do things because I felt like my body wasn't, wasn't allowed to do things or wearing certain things because I thought my body wasn't the mm-hmm. right body to wear that um it's that whole like and i don't want anyone yeah. to experience that exactly mm-hmm. it's that whole i'll do this when and like yeah you can re- we can relate this to life milestones we can relate this to weight we can relate this to achievements happiness mm-hmm. like i will be able to do this when i feel x or when mm-hmm. i weigh x amount but no don't wait because we mm-hmm. don't have the guarantee that we can wait exactly it's not guaranteed tomorrow's not guaranteed five minutes from now is not guaranteed mm-hmm. and it's like they're like it's i know that that is like very hard to remember because people are like no like i'm not going to die in five minutes or mm-hmm. i'm going to be here in 10 more for 10 more years it's like that's not you don't know that and mm-hmm. so you might as well like take back control of your life start living living your life, doing the things you want to do now, no matter the size of your body and know that you are like respecting yourself and like giving yourself that ability to do those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we um, like go into the rapid fire questions, is there something that you would say to anyone who's listening right now that is struggling with an eating disorder or feels really kind of like isolated? Mm-hmm. I would say that you're not alone mm-hmm. and you don't have to navigate it alone. Yeah. I think that eating disorders, like you said, like that isolation part, eating disorders can be very isolating. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that space, you, you can truly feel like you're the only one who is going through it that no mm-hmm. one will ever understand but I guarantee you there are people, there are organizations that are out there who want to help you, who want to support you, who want to listen to you, who want to validate you. Mm -hmm. Um, And just know that while choosing recovery may feel like the hardest decision ever, it is one of the strongest decisions Mm -hmm. that we can make for ourselves because Mm. we are choosing to take back that control. We're choosing to say like, I get to decide how I live my life and what Mm -hmm. makes me happy and what makes me worthy. And Mm -hmm. I'm no longer going to allow society or outside sources to define that for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like just knowing you're not alone and there's no shame in asking for help. Mm -hmm. There's no shame in reaching out for resources. Um, There's so many like organizations like the the National Alliance for Eating Disorders who do virtual support groups where mm-hmm. it's like you don't even need to turn your camera on like you can just show up nice. and be surrounded by people who care about you and who want to support you yeah. um so that's always like one of the places that I recommend people start with is like okay. following organizations online taking in resources that they're sharing yeah. and then if you feel comfortable like attending a virtual support group Mm, and 
turning off your camera if you don't want people to see your face and you don't have to participate. You could just sit there and take in information. Um, and over time, you may start to feel more comfortable and wanting to turn your camera on and, you know, working through the stigma that may be associated with asking for help. Yeah. I will link um, a, a whole bunch of resources in the show notes so that people can refer to that. But yeah, just knowing that you're not alone and if you are able to do any kind of support group, um, are they free? Yeah. Oh, amazing. So even if you can go in there and yeah, turn your camera off, mm-hmm. just being able to hear that someone else may be going through something similar will have way more of an impact on you than you will ever recognize. Yeah. 100%. And I think like one last little piece of advice too is, is the shame aspect. Like mm. the best thing that I could have ever done for myself was to share my struggle with someone. Yes. Someone that I trusted, someone that I felt safe with, someone mm-hmm. that I knew wasn't going to like force me to do something that I didn't mm-hmm. want to do. Right. But just knowing that you can like get that off your chest and like share it with someone and know mm-hmm. that you don't have to hide it from that person. There is so much like empowerment in that and knowing like, okay, like I don't have to hold this in for the rest of my life. Like I can tell someone and they can, you know, be there for me and support me in whatever I need. And that mm-hmm. is truly like one of the best feelings. Yeah. Agreed. Support mm-hmm. is very yes. important. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to go into some rapid fires. So I have five questions. They're not about eating disorders. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I ask every like guest these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just whatever comes up, let it be. Um, okay. So your first question is, what is something you do that makes you feel good? Something I do that makes me feel good. Um, spending time with my dog. Um, and my partner, like just getting outside, taking my dog for a walk, like taking in fresh air and just being able to like take in the love from them. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me feel good. Awesome. Uh, what is something that you value? Something I value relationships. Like Mm. I am a huge, huge relationship person, like friendships, family relationships. Like I really value my relationships and like the people in my life nice uh what is something that you want to let go of one thing i want to let go of is i go back and forth between the people pleasing yeah (laughs) (laughs) because i have the skills to work through it but i still i still experience every single day yeah um and with the people pleasing also comes like a sense of comparison so i go back and Mm. forth between like the comparison comparing my success to others or, you know, not necessarily my body so much anymore, but more so like what other people are achieving versus what I'm achieving. Um, and all of that. So comparison. Yeah. And those are not easy things to let go of. So, uh, what is something that you're working on? Something that I'm working on and be like Um, personal career, anything. Yeah. I would say one thing that I'm working on is understanding that I am not going to be liked by everyone. Mm, That's a good. This applies to like me and my personal life. Like I, I think it goes into the people pleasing. Like I want to be liked by everyone. I want everyone to like me, but 
as I've gotten older, I've realized like what is important to me, my values, like the way I view the world is very different than others. And people are going to look at me and be like, I don't like you. And that's okay. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to be, I'm not going to be able to be liked by everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that also applies to my, my career as well. Like I'm Mm -hmm. not going to be the perfect therapist for every client that comes to me. Exactly. And that was a really hard thing for me to accept. Um, when I first got into this field was like, I have to be perfect for everyone. And every client has to love me and like, want to see me for like the next five years. And it's just not, the way it's it works. not the reality, yeah. right? Like I'm not going to be that for everyone and that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the last question is, how do you want to be remembered? How do I want to be remembered? I want to be remembered for like as being the like loving person that I am. Mm-hmm. The person that makes people laugh. Like I still do very much enjoy making people laugh. And while that was like a coping skill for me growing up, I still feel like it is kind of here and there today, but it feels more genuine now for mm-hmm. me. Like I just Thanks. enjoy being able to make people laugh, especially people who are going through something difficult, like just yeah. being able to give them a second to just like laugh and smile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also just remembered as someone who cared about others like who Mm. really dedicated like her time to hear people and support people and validate people um and fought for like the important things and had the difficult conversations um Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what I want to be remembered as beautiful well before we say goodbye where can people find you slash work with you or mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so we just launched um the new website so you okay. can go to recoverwithcarly.com and there you'll find really anything you need you can okay. schedule therapy through me um I can only see clients in California so okay. if you're out of California unfortunately I can't uh work with you um, you can find my podcast on my website as well. And you can also find the curriculum on my website. Mm. So if you just go to recoverwithcarly.com, pretty much everything is linked there. And then you can find me on Instagram at recoverwithcarly, TikTok at recoverwithcarly. Um, and the podcast is recoverwithcarly podcast. So you can find that on Apple and Spotify and samsung and all of that so perfect yeah that's pretty much where all that will be linked so people can find you easily Mm -hmm. um yeah well thank you so much for taking the time to do this and to share your story and kind of bust some myths about Mm -hmm. eating disorders but also just to like share what you've gone through and where you're at now and just to be able to share that it is possible to go through recovery and come out on the other side and obviously still work in the field and make an impact on other people's lives. So that's really amazing. And we need more people like you in the world. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and for having the space, creating the space Mm. to like have the conversation and um, really just, you know, seeing the importance in, in the work and the field and all of that. So thank you. Thank you.